Girls, how are you today? A lot of our friends are out of town on Labor Day weekend, but we're glad that you're here and so glad to see you in God's house and ready to worship Him. Hope you came to Sunday school and enjoyed that. And, and Miss Sabina will uh, be escorting you to children's worship in a little bit. But first, we want to have Happy Club. Happy Club is something that everybody can belong to. And I have your names on a list of paper, and we try to go down that list and share it so everybody can participate. I think Carson Barnes has the bag. Is that right? And he took it home last week. There's something yellow. Yeah, I see something yellow sticking out. Let's see. It's big. Let's see what Carson... He had a hard time getting this in there. Matchbox. I remember when matchboxes were little. Now, what, what is this? Rocky the Robot. There's a red thing. Show me, Carson. Where does it turn on somewhere? On the back, there's a switch. On there's a switch on the back. Where, okay, turn it on for me. Okay, can I play with it? No. I can't. <laughs> So it's a dump truck, but it's like a transformer. Hi, I'm Rocky. Let's be friends. I push this. I say a billion things. Hey, buddy, this store is lonely. Take me home. This store is lonely. Take me home. Is that is that why you bought it? Tell me why you brought. What's his name? Rocky. Why did you bring him today? Any special reason? Your favorite, favorite toy. All right. Well, you know, what, what this reminds me of, Carson, is, is before we become a Christian, we're just, we're just average people. But the moment Jesus comes into our heart, he transforms us. Hi, I'm Rocky. Let's be friends. And makes us special. Just like Rocky says, hi, I'm Rocky. Let's be friends. Before, he's just a regular old dump truck. And all of a sudden, you turn a button, and he turns on, and he becomes your friend. When Jesus comes into our heart, we're just regular old people. But when he comes into our heart, he makes us special. And he gives, he gives us friends that we want to tell about him. So this, this is kind of like a trans. I know it's not a transformer, but it's like one. And it says, and it says that, uh, you know, before, I'm normal, but when Jesus comes into my heart, it turns a button. <laughs> I wasn't ready for that. And something special happens, and that's what happens when Jesus comes into our heart, too. He transforms us into something special. So let's pray right now and, and thank God for making us special and then coming into our heart and using us in special ways. Let's pray. Dear God, thank you for creating us in a special way. And when Jesus comes in, then we can do special things for you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, Carson. Let me, let me see. What else? I turned it off. Boy, he's a friendly whatever. He, what is he? 
All right. He wants to be your friend. So there's Carson's toy. It's his favorite, favorite toy. Miss Sabina, it's a girl's turn. Where's Allie? Allie, will you take the bag home and bring something special back next week, please? Thank you. Boys and girls, you can go with Miss Sabina to children's worship if you'd like to.
Thank you so much, Gina. That it was to God and God alone. The words say, God and God alone is fit to take the Father's throne. What a wonderful, wonderful gift you have shared with us this morning. Thank you so much. And we're going to sing to the glory of God. When this hymn was first introduced in 1954 at the Billy Graham Crusade in London, England, it was received with just great anticipation. People began singing it all over the world. And now we think of it as a hymn that's always been with us. But please stand with me as we sing, To God Be the Glory.
with me, please? Our Father God, we thank you for being able to come here today and rejoice and seek your praises and worship you and hear your word. We are so undeserving, but we are so thankful for your mercy and your grace to us. Please know that we want to show you in all that we say and do and to follow your leadership in our lives. We come to bring you our tithes and our offerings with grateful hearts, praying that you will lead us in ways that you want us to go to let others know of your love and mercy for us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.
Thank you, choir. Well, on Labor Day weekend, I wanted to bring a message on labor because I think so many people have a misguided understanding of labor. And we've been talking about theology the past several weeks anyway. God the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. We've talked about revelation, creation, and sin. And I think it's also important to have a good theology of work. It's so important that we as Christians not go to work every day dreading it. And just watching the clock and just getting by doing the least possible to draw a salary. It's so important to do what we do to honor God. There's a passage, 2 Thessalonians 3, verses 6 through 13. The sermon is entitled, Whistle While You Work. And we'll get into that in a minute. We may even whistle a little. And this is what Paul says to the Thessalonians. Because they had a problem with working. And Paul could not tolerate it. 2 Thessalonians 3, verse 6. Now we command you, brethren, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you keep away from any brother who is living in idleness and not in accord with the tradition that you received from us. For you yourselves know how you ought to imitate us. We we were not idle when we were with you. We did not eat anyone's bread without paying, but with toil and labor we worked night and day that we might not burden any of you. It was not because we have not that right, but to give you in our conduct an example to imitate. For even when we were with you, we gave you this command, if anyone will not work, what? Let him not eat. It's harsh. For we hear that some of you are living in idleness, mere busybodies, not doing any work. Now such persons we command and exhort in the Lord Jesus Christ to do their work in quietness and to earn their own living. Brethren, do not be weary in well-doing. How can we establish a good theology of work? Let's pray. Father, ever since the Garden of Eden... You ordained that we would till the soil by the sweat of our brow and eat the bread from our labor. And you have blessed us with a good earth and with so many tools and and so much equipment to facilitate our labors. But at the same time, work is work, and, and we can look at it either as drudgery or as an opportunity to bring you glory. So help us to see it in some way that will honor you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs was Disney's first full-length animated film. It was released in 1937. And little girls will always love singing, Someday My Prince Will Come. The Wicked Queen in her magic mirror, the huntsman who begs forgiveness from Snow White for even considering killing her at the evil queen's command. The dwarf's cottage, the handsome prince. Can you name all seven dwarfs? Grumpy, dopey, sleepy, bashful, and all the rest. (laughs) 
But what really struck me about this movie is, is when I got to thinking about it recently, is that uh, everybody in it works happily. Everybody's happy. There's a strong work ethic in Snow White. And when you stop and realize it was released in 1937, it makes sense because 1937 was on the heels of the Great Depression. It was just a few years before World War II. It was when that great generation decided that they were going to make this a great nation and that work ethic that they created brought it about. So anyway, Snow White and all the forest animals are in the cottage and they're cleaning up and singing just whistle while you work. Do you remember? I'm not going to do any more. Stop. And then the seven dwarfs are headed off to the jewel mine and they're singing, we dig, 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 dig in a mine the whole day through. We dig, 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 dig. This is what we like to do. Listen to this line. It ain't no trick to get rich quick if you dig, dig, dig in a mine, in a mine where a million diamonds shine. Okay. So they dig with pickaxes in a mine all day, and then at 5 p.m., the whistle blows, and they march back home with their pickaxes on their shoulder, and they're singing again, hi-ho, hi-ho, it's home from work we go. And they just had the best time of their lives swinging pickaxes all day in a mine. And what really struck me is how happy everybody is while they're working. Snow White is busily cleaning the cottage. The dwarfs are in the jewel mine. And everybody is happy and singing and whistling, just having a great time as they sweep and wash the cottage and swing pickaxes. And let me point out that working in a mine is not easy labor. Swinging a pickaxe all day. Now Susan would say, Wayne, don't get all worked up. It's just a movie and a fairy tale at that. And I agree, attitude toward work, that kind of attitude, can only happen in a fairy tale. But sometimes I think it can happen for people in a family of faith, if they have the right attitude toward work. If you think labor relations are bad today, you should look at Paul's predicament in the Thessalonican church. Expecting the second coming of Christ at any time a lot of Jesus' followers just decided to quit work and kick up their heels and wait. Fully able to work, they decided that rather than work, they were going to live off the fat of the land until Jesus returned. And Paul got upset. He said, living in idleness is not in accord with the tradition that you receive from us. You yourselves know how you ought to imitate us. We were not idle. When we were with you, we did not eat anyone's bread without paying for it, but with toil and labor we worked night and day that we might not be a burden to any of you. And then Paul gave this great welfare reform act for the Thessalonican church. He said, if anyone will not work, let him not eat. In other words, he told them if someone was able to work but simply chose not to, then don't let them eat. And if they get hungry enough, then they might decide that working isn't so bad after all. It's clear from this passage that Paul isn't talking about people who could not work because of a disability or because there was simply no work available for them to do. He was talking about people who were able-bodied but simply chose not to work. 
and let someone else carry the load. Well, when we combine this passage with a couple others in the New Testament from Romans 12 and 1 Corinthians 12, we see some dimensions to a Christian's understanding of work that I think will help us whistle when we head to work instead of wince. We have to have the right attitude. We have to be available to God. We have to have actions in our, in our vocation. And we have to be accountable to God for what we do. But first of all, we have to have the right attitude toward work. One of the most uh, haunting memories I have from childhood occurred to me when I was about 10 years old and I was at my grandfather's farm in, outside of Charlotte, North Carolina, and we were riding, my cousin and I were riding in the back of the pickup truck across an open field. My grandfather had a pretty big farm and had some uh, cows on it he called whiteheads. I think we call them white faces or something like that down here in Georgia. He had a pretty big herd, and so he would go out every day and count them and be sure they were all right. And one day, Brian and I decided to go with him because it was fun to ride out in the field, and we were sitting on the tailgate. And I was not holding on. And when the pickup truck hit a a bump in the field, I bounced out. And uh, so I I get up and I start running after the truck because granddaddy's hard of hearing and he he didn't know I'd fallen out. And Brian was laughing so hard. He was no help. So I'm running and I'm running and I grab hold of the tailgate and I jump with all my might and I miss and, and the pickup truck drags me about 100 feet, and finally I let go. And Brian yells to Granddaddy to stop the truck. He backs up, and he's mad. He's a pretty stern individual anyway. And uh, he, took, he picked me up and shook me off and told me that I'd never amount to anything. And I spent most of my life trying to live down to his expectations. But there was a time in my life when manual labor was not my favorite thing to do. And it wasn't until I acknowledged Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior and affirmed His call in my life that I I saw a different perspective of work. Because most of my life, manual labor was something to be avoided. I had no concept before Jesus of who I was or where I was going or what was expected of me or what I could do. And I certainly didn't look forward to any 9 to 5 grind. And yet when I gave my life to God, and, and I didn't know if it was going to be the ministry or, or evangelism or missions or whatever, but when I finally just laid it all down and said, God, I am so unhappy, you do with me whatever you see fit, that I learned that God can take any day and make it a perfect day as long as you're doing what God calls you to do. And that doesn't mean just ministry, it means anything. If you're a school teacher, if you're a businessman, if you're a student... You're supposed to do your best as unto the Lord. Romans 12 says, As there are many parts to our bodies, so it is with Christ's body. We're all parts of it, and it takes every one of us to make it complete. For we all have a different work to do. Now, until this past week, I thought that only applied to church work. We're all parts of the body. We all function in the church. But the more I realized, this this idea expanded to wherever you work in the world, whatever your career is. God has gifted each and every one of us with specific gifts, and it's only as we exercise those gifts in the world and in the church that we're doing what he called us to do and expects us to do. All of us have an important task in the fabric of faith to accomplish. 
No job is too great or small. No one is more important or less important than anyone else because it takes all of us to make the fabric complete. Every single thread is important. And as long as we take an attitude toward work that we're doing what God has called us to do, whatever it might be, if we see what we're doing as a service to God and do it in a way that honors Him and brings glory to Him, then then we have a calling in our lives, a vocation that God has called us to. And it's more than just going to the salt mines day after day and grinding away. It's, It's offering our best to Him as a way to honor and glorify Him. Paul wrote to the Colossians, Whatever your task, work heartily as serving the Lord and not men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive an inheritance as your reward. Whatever you do, if you're digging a hole, if you're washing dishes, if you're in a service industry, do it. You're not doing it for a customer to draw a wage. You're doing it as unto the Lord, as a way to glorify Him. So give it your best. Don't be a Christian who's out there just getting by and embarrassing the name of Christ. But do your job in such a way that people would say, that person's honest, that person's fair, that person's doing their best. They must be a Christian. And when you do that, it honors God. I I wrote in my Beacon article this week, I I know everyone read it, but uh, in case there's one or two of you who missed it, it, there's a story that I love about Martin Luther who uh, encounters this man who just became a Christian. And he came to Martin Luther and said, what should I do with my life now? And Martin Luther said, well, well, what, what is your occupation? What do you do? He said, I make shoes. And, and the man thought that Martin Luther would say, well, give up shoemaking and become a preacher or, or become an evangelist or become a missionary. Martin Luther instead said, if you're a cobbler, then you go and make a good pair of shoes and sell it at a fair price. That's what Christians are supposed to do. And there's no higher calling among any of us. If you're a minister, if you're uh, a businessman, if you're a school teacher, we all are serving the same God. And we all honor Him by giving it our best. So first of all is your attitude. Secondly, make sure that you're available to God because if you put parameters around what you will and will not do for God, He can't use you. He won't use you until you give him everything. Let me give an example. I, when I was so unhappy before going into the ministry, you know, I, I told God what I was willing to do and what I was not willing to do. And I really reached a dead end, an obstacle in my life. I couldn't hear God speak. I couldn't pray. I didn't hear any response. And it wasn't until I realized that as long as I limited God, He couldn't use me. But the moment I said, God, I'm willing to do whatever you want me to do. Take me, use me, pour me out. I don't care. I am so unhappy now. I just want to be in the center of your will. That God revealed himself and began to guide in the way he wanted me to go. You've got to make yourself not 50% available, not even 90% available, but completely 100% available to God. And he will work out his call 
in your life, whether it's a call to ministry or it's a call to teaching or it's a call to a service uh, occupation or it's a call to whatever business, it's a call to ministry. Whatever you do, you can do it as unto the Lord. Dr. Bob Amon of New Jersey was an oral surgeon, but he knew in his younger days that he was called to the ministry. He was talking to somebody one day and said, who makes more money, a preacher or an oral surgeon? (laughs) He found out an oral surgeon made more money, and so he became an oral surgeon, but he was miserable throughout his life because he wasn't doing what God called him to do. And finally, he was so fed up, he came home to his family and said, I can't do this anymore. And he gave up his job and his career, and he went to Princeton Seminary, and he graduated recently, and now he's serving a church. Why would someone leave a practice of oral surgery and go into the ministry? Because God called him. The same reason there are doctors and lawyers and dentists and nurses and CPAs and all other kinds of people from all walks of life in seminary right now. Because when you're in the middle of God's will, you're at peace. And when you're out of his will, you are restless and unhappy and always will be. Bob Amen, for the first time in his life, is whole and secure and he's happy. And he whistles a lot more than he used to. Because it's like Michelangelo once said, it's only well with me when I have a chisel in my hand. It's only well with me when I have a chisel in my hand. Michelangelo had a great gift. What if he had followed some other career and never fulfilled what God called him to do? What a waste. But with a chisel in his hand, Michelangelo was happy because he was doing what God had gifted him to do and called him to do. It doesn't matter what you do. As long as you're available to God. For when you're available to God, you'll know what James meant when he said, draw near unto God and he will draw near unto you. And as long as you are seeking God and willing to go anywhere and do anything, he will reveal great and mighty things to you. Thirdly, we need to talk about actions because a lot of Christians are willing to do anything, but they just never get around to it. Christians have to be people of action. Christians cannot live a life of idleness. Christians act out their vocations in the world as expressions of their faith in and obedience to God. Now, I'm not suggesting that you can work your way into a closer relationship with the Lord because the works of our hands don't save us. But... When you are saved, it has to find expression in what you do and how you do it. James said faith by, it, by itself is dead if it has no works. So what you do as a Christian is a reflection of your faith and your obedience to God. Hank Aaron was one of my heroes in Atlanta growing up in Atlanta as a Braves fan and uh, incidentally, I was in Atlanta Stadium when he cranked 715 
out of, the, out of the field, and I have a certificate and a ticket stub to prove it. So that was one of the highlights of my sports fanaticism. But Hank Aaron used to go to the plate and had an odd habit about him. He used to go to the plate with the trademark of the bat facing down. Now, everybody will tell you that the trademark ought to face up so you can read it. And someone pointed that out to Hank Aaron one time, and Aaron replied, I don't go up to the plate to read. He went up to hit. And every time you and I step up to the plate, ladies and gentlemen, we ought to be ready to go to work, to see our our vocation as a calling and our availability to God as willing to do anything. Thirdly and fourthly, we're accountable to God for what we do because I believe firmly that with the gifts he's entrusted to you and how you use them, you're going to have to explain one day. I gave you this. Why didn't you exercise it? Or here you did well with this and look how I used it and multiplied it. You're going to be held accountable. And I, and I take that very seriously as a minister here at church. Because we see a lot of folks coming in um, throughout the week, especially with the economy the way it is. Oftentimes churches have a lot of requests for assistance. Everything from car trouble to flat tires, out of gas, tired, dirty, hungry, needing a place to sleep. They're coming to churches now for help because a lot of the social agencies are out of money. And I'm so, I'm so pleased to say that your church is generous. As a matter of fact, I am told that underneath bridge overpasses up and down I-75, folks have scrawled the words, when you get to Tifton, go to First Baptist. They will help you. I'm kind of proud of that. Underneath overpasses crossing I-75 in our vicinity. When I came to Tifton 14 years ago, those who needed help, we would, we would try to help, but we tried to exercise this passage in Thessalonians, that if you will not work, let them not eat. And so we tried to give folks an opportunity to work. You know, uh, trimming some shrubs, mopping a floor, washing some windows, something like that. But uh, we soon learned that insurance liability would not allow us to put people to work like that. What if they fell off the ladder and broke a leg? Or what if they slipped in a wet floor and herniated a disc in their back. It happens, and insurance companies aren't happy. But verse 13 gives us an instruction that we cannot avoid. It says, do not be weary in well-doing. So as long as we are able, as long as there are resources, Mark Myers and John Hughes particularly spend a lot of their time not just doling out money, but but talking to folks to find out what spiritual needs underlie those physical needs and trying to meet them as well. And as long as our benevolence funds hold out, we'll keep trying to help. But let me tell you, those funds are going fast. So a Christian's understanding of work has to include some accountability. God's going to say, what did you do with these gifts I gave you? How did you exercise them? How did you invest them? You know, are you going to be like the one with five talents that made five talents more? Or are you going to be like the man with one talent who buried it and did nothing 
and from whom that one talent was taken away and given to the one who had ten. God's going to hold us accountable and expect us to have accomplished something with what he gave. As the Bible teaches, I don't really see it makes any difference who you are or what you do. As long as you have an attitude toward work as a way to honor God, an availability to God to be willing to do whatever he calls you to do in your life and ministry, as long as you see your actions as a vocation and are willing to roll up your sleeves and do something, and recognizing that one day you'll be held accountable for what you do or fail to do. And I believe with that understanding, we don't have to worry about what might have been or whether or not we'll amount to anything. For we will be something. We'll be accomplishing God's calling and His purpose for our lives. And with that kind of understanding, we can whistle while we work. Because fairy tales, I think, can become real in the family of faith. Shall we bow? Father, you have given us health and strength and pretty good minds to use and the opportunity to accomplish something. Some days we, we waste and we accomplish very little. And then there are those days where we, we work steadily. And at the end of the day, when we lay our head down on our pillow, we know it's been a really good day. Because we served you and we honored you with faithful service. Whether we teach school or in business or um, work on a farm or a student. God, you don't call us just to get by. You call us to do our best. And in so doing, bring honor and glory to your name and to the name of Christ, whose title we bear. Help us exercise the gifts, the talents that you've entrusted to us and be faithful in that high calling. For we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. We're going to conclude our service with an invitation, allowing you to respond publicly if God has called you, not only to a a task, but also to become a part of this church. Professing your faith publicly, rededicating your life, joining this church. Noah and Madison Fletcher came on profession of faith in the early service. And we want to We want that call to continue. And if this is your time and your opportunity and God has called you, you come. We're going to stand and sing hymn 287. Take my life, lead me, Lord. I'll be at the front to receive you. You come as we stand and sing.